Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, good morning. Y'all look good today. And um, we are going to, um, I, I, got a, I got a word to preach, so uh, I'm going to jump right into it right now. Yeah. Amen. Is that all right? Uh, first of all, let me say this. Um, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we want to also welcome our campuses, our Curry, our Curry Ford campus. We're going to welcome Redbug Lake Michigan Street Campus. Come on, don't you love the family of God? And we just kind of all thank God for one another in these moments. And so we want to say welcome to them joining the service at this time. As most of you know, we are, we are kind of one-third into a season of fasting and prayer and emphasis on prayer and fasting. And uh, if you have not joined in yet, it's not too late. You can join in for these last two weeks and uh, you can jump right in with us. But with that, um, we're, we're kind of uh, at, least, uh, at least at the bottom line, our fast that we're talking about, some people are doing some more and different things. And, uh, but one of the fasts that we're just kind of collectively talking about is uh, no meat, no meat, no sweets and no bread or bread products or something like that, right? So no meat, no sweets, no bread stuff, and no happiness, okay? Those are the four things that we're asking you to, I'm just kidding. You can still be happy. Matter of fact, once you get in the, once you get in the zone of it, once the caffeine addiction headaches go away and, you know, whatever, you, you start to feel pretty happy. And so uh, we're doing this to kind of clear out uh, any of the distractions in our lives so we can hear God's voice better. If you missed last weekend, we kind of launched the, the fast with a message. And so if you missed last weekend, I do encourage you to go back and watch the message. Just kind of set the course on why we're doing this, why we're praying and fasting, uh, kind of starting out the year with that. So I wanted to make mention of that. Uh, and also uh, with that, we are doing some prayer services. So last Friday, we're actually coming off of a 24-hour event of prayer. 24 hours nonstop prayer happened in this building on Friday. If you're wondering, if you're wondering why you felt something when you walked on the property today, right, uh, it's because we've been praying and fasting around here. And so we had a 24-hour prayer event. Uh, we, we, there was a focused prayer service Friday night at 7. This coming Friday night, another prayer service at 7 o'clock. So please come out for those. You'll, you'll be glad you did. So refreshing. Uh, and then also on our Wednesdays, we're kind of doing some things uh, a little bit with this focus as well. Matter of fact, this Wednesday night, we will be praying for uh, healing. And we believe it's going to be a healing night. God's kind of spoken to us that he's going to perform miracles. And so um, I, I was already telling people that I know we're dealing with physical stuff. I said, hey, Wednesday night is the healing service. So come out on Wednesday night. So we're going to be praying specifically for that this coming Wednesday night. Also, this Wednesday night does launch, as was mentioned a few moments ago, but it also it launches our youth revival tidal wave happening Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's going to be amazing back in the youth auditorium. So if you know anybody, middle school, high school, college age, young adult, uh, get them here on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and all three nights. Parents, I promise, I promise you will not uh, regret 
making the sacrifice to get your kids here for that. So we're gonna pray, ask God to anoint this word. As you know, we are in a series um, just called this. What kind of church is that? Uh, reason why we're kind of answering that question is two reasons. Number one, uh, because we know that you're going to be out amongst the, the community and doing your life with your coworkers and your neighbors and whatever, and you're going to be inviting people to this church like never before. Amen. All right, good. Amen. And so when you do, you might say, hey, you should come to my church. And they might say, well, what kind of church is that? And then you can, number one, you'll know the answer because we've been talking about it. But then we'll still be talking about it. So you could say, hey, you should come this weekend because we're actually talking about what kind of church we are. That's one of the reasons why we're doing this. The other is just to reestablish, um, reaffirm kind of what's important to us around here. As faith assimilator, what's our culture? And this week, um, we are going to talk about what kind of church is that? That we are a worshiping church. I believe there's some people that are passionate in their heart for God, and we express that through worship. Matter of fact, I think it'd be fitting right now if we just took 20 seconds and we just worship the Lord for who He is, for His greatness, for His worth. Come on, lift your hands, lift your voice. Father, we worship You. You're the reason why we're here. We love You. We bless You, God. You're worth it all, God. We glorify You. We bless You. Your name is high and lifted up, God. We worship you in this place. That's why we've come, God, to worship you. And Lord, I pray right now there'd be a fresh anointing upon this word. I pray you'd give us ears to hear what the Spirit says. And God, I pray right now that we would be ready, every hearer, every listener, every person under the sound of this voice, under the ministry of this word, every person would be ready to respond. Lord, let us be like at the, at the starting gate, just waiting for the chance to respond and to reflect what this word has said to us. And Lord, if it means we change, then we change. If it means our behavior grows and, and moves a different direction, then so be it. We're just ready to respond to your word. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 14. <clears throat> the book of Acts, chapter 14. We're going to start in verse number 8 of Acts, chapter 14. And uh, we will uh, look at a couple verses here, and, uh, but we'll, we'll eventually kind of hit all of this whole narrative that happened here in Acts, chapter 14. But we'll start with verses 8, 9, and 10. Verses 8, 9, and 10, Acts, chapter 14. If you're there, just say Amen. All right, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screens, actually it already is, on the screens behind me. Uh, Acts chapter 14, this is what the Word of God says. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame from birth. Uh, he was lame, he had been that way uh, from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul as he was speaking. And then Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and he began to walk around. Now we're gonna look at kind of what unfolds as a result of this miracle. We're gonna look at the worship that kind of breaks out as a result of this miracle, but before we do, don't read ahead, all right? I forbid you to read ahead. Uh, before we do, I want us just to begin to look at maybe what worship would mean to us. And 
Let me launch into this thought of what worship actually is. Let me launch into it with this. Last week, um, in, this, in this service, my friends from California were here. They pastor a great church in Northern California, and they had come last week uh, for the service. And then on Monday, they went to Disney World, right? Because they're in Orlando, and that's just what you do. So they went to Disney World. I think they went to Animal Kingdom is the park specifically that they went to. And we met up with them on Monday night after they had done the theme park thing all day long. And uh, when we were talking to them, they started to tell us about their experience at the theme park. They said, man, it's so expensive. I said, yes, it is. So yeah, the tickets, are, they, yeah, they've gone up. They just keep going up. It's a lot. So they were talking about how much it costs just to get in. Of course, if you're going to eat or anything there, it's going to cost a lot. They're talking about that, and they said, it was so crowded. Oh, it was so crowded. They said, uh, we knew a particular ride they were, gonna, we, they were wanting to go on. So we said, did you get to go on that ride? They said, well, yes, but it was like a, a two and a half hour wait to just do that one ride. They end up only riding two rides. So they pay all this money and <laughs> to stand in line. They said it was just so crowded. And they had the look on their face. It's a look that I've seen before. It's a look that I've seen from a lot of people at the end of the day at a theme park. You know, that look on your face when it's just defeating and it's just, uh, it's just like, what are we doing? And um, matter of fact, it's funny living in Orlando and, and travel, you know, I'm, I'm traveling and speaking somewhere. When you're flying back home, inevitably on every single flight, you're flying back home, but there's people coming here on vacation. And the look on their face, I mean, the kids are all so excited and the parents are so excited. We're going to Disney World. And they're just, I mean, it's just, and then you compare that to the look at the end of the day at the theme park. Because we used to have passes at a couple different seasons of our life. And so um, we would sometimes go just at the evening. Like we would go at like six or seven, just ride a ride or two and then come home or whatever. So it was always funny getting there kind of fresh at the end of the day and watching the families come out because they don't like each other anymore. They don't like Mickey Mouse anymore. I mean, they don't like nothing. They're mad and walking out. So this was kind of the... This was kind of the image and the aura I was getting from my friends as they were telling me about their experience. So as they get kind of done with telling me about it, I had just simply asked this question. I said, well, was it worth it? <laughs> and that's really the thought I want you to kind of land on. It's what we kind of launched from is, well, was it worth it? Because you can define worship a lot of ways. You can define it, um, I mean, Webster defines it this way. Webster says that worship means to honor or to show reverence uh, for a divine being or a supernatural power. They also, Webster says, to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. Uh, the Hebrew word that gets translated worship literally means bow down. Uh, the Greek word in the New Testament that gets translated worship would include that, but also uh, add to it a, a reverence. And so you can define worship a lot of different ways, but literally the English word worship, in the Old English and the root of the English word worship is this, it's worth-ship, wow. worth. So as I pose to my friends, well, was it worth it? And they have to now think, okay, we spent this, we invested this, we gave this our time, our energy, and our money, and was it worth it? Here's my question. 
as we launch into this thought that we are a worshiping church, we've got to constantly remind ourselves, is God worth it? And the answer is a resounding yes. As a matter of fact, the point of my life, like I want my life, basically what I'm trying to do is live a life in such a way that it honors him in a way that he is deserving of, that he's worthy of. That's what worship is, that we live our life in this way. But there are also uh, you know, traditional and practical uh, expressions of worship, biblical expressions of worship, and we'll look at some of those as well. But he's worth it, and that's where we launch from. And so Paul and Barnabas are here in Lystra, and, and Paul's preaching, or, or at least having a conversation with someone, and talking about uh, the things of God, talking about Jesus Christ. This, this lame man overhears it. Paul senses he's got the uh, uh, the faith to be healed, he says, stand up. And not only does this guy stand up, he stands up, he starts running around. First time in his life that he's been able to walk. He's not just gonna stand, he starts to run around. And we're gonna watch now what happens as a result of that miracle. Verse 11, this happens as a result. When the crowd saw that Paul had done this, they shouted in the Lacionian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So as a result of this amazing miracle, the people break out in worship towards Paul and Barnabas. Uh, now, Paul, he would have known what to expect in Lystra a little bit. Paul was an educated man, and so he knew going into Lystra uh, what, kind of, what kind of city it was. He knew that uh, it was a dark, primitive uh, city filled with a lot of idolatry. Uh, they didn't have any really context of, of the Hebrew religion, so there was no real religion going on there. They didn't even really have any Greek philosophy there. And so here were these kind of just people in darkness, and yet, though they didn't have any real training in religion or any real um, training in philosophy yet, here they are so quick to break out in worship. See, I guess I could say it this way. My purpose in preaching this topic today, I'm not trying to persuade anyone to become a worshiper because I don't have to, because you already are. You see, worship will always be instinctual. Worship's just in there. You were wired for worship. You were wired to worship something. And so here we see this miracle happens, and though these people have never been trained on any kind of worship, now here they just bust out in worship. Now it's misguided. It's going the wrong direction. It's going towards Paul and Barnabas. But boy, this worship starts to flow out of them. They're like, let's, let's sacrifice bulls and towards these two. The gods have come down in human form. Let's worship them. Where you, you're wired for worship. Think about it. There wouldn't even be celebrity in our culture if human beings weren't wired to worship. But look at what we do. We just put people on a pedestal and we go, you're better. You're worth more than me. You're worth my money. You're worth my attention. You're worth my time. You're worth my love. And so we put people, so, so, so there's this thing that's called celebrity that wouldn't exist if humans didn't worship. Oh, you can look at it this way. You could go to any concert. Matter of fact, we should send people out. No, we shouldn't. But we should send people out 
to all the different concerts coming up in the next month or two. And somebody should just get pictures of the first five or six rows of each one of those concerts. I don't care what genre of music it is. You can go to the hip hop concert, you can go to the country concert, you can go to the rock concert, you can probably even go to the symphony and you'll see some of it. Here's what you'll see. You can take pictures of those first five or six rows and what you will see is you will see people engaged in worship. You'll see people clapping their hands. You'll see people raising their hands. You'll see people with tears rolling down their face. You'll see people jumping and dancing. And what they're doing is they're saying, you on the stage, you're worth my passion. You on the stage, you're worth this expression. And the reason why that happens is because we are wired to do that. I mean, this afternoon, there's a couple football games, I think. And I'm going to go out on the limb that across those stadiums, there's going to be some worship going on. Again, no one's going to have to say, hey, when you feel a certain way, clap your hands. Hey, when you feel a certain way, lift up your hands. No, you're going to watch those people just do it instinctively because we're wired for it. And so these people are wired for worship and they just begin to express it towards Paul and Barnabas. This, this wiring, this created for worship, this, uh, this instinct that we have to worship, that is why that even an incredible uh, worship, uh, spirit-led, uh, powerful, authentic worship moments like we just had and like we're going, getting ready to have in just a few minutes, just those alone can be such an evangelistic tool because people could wander into this building far from God and that's the ones we want to come into this building. Somebody say amen. Yes, people far from God wandering into this building and we welcome them and we celebrate them and we, we love on them. They come in here far from God. Maybe they don't know the word of God. Maybe they don't know the biblical expressions of worship but then something begins to happen as they look around and there's people just expressing passion and love for God and this team is, is being spirit led and, and leading and authentic worship, something happens inside them. Like this click happens where they go, you know what, I have been, I don't know if they would word it this way, but inside they're feeling this, like I have been looking for something worth my passion. I've been giving my, 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 my attention and my money and my efforts to all of these things, and yet the hobby gets old after a little while. And I chase after this group, but, but this group just doesn't satisfy anymore, and then this activity just doesn't satisfy anymore. And when they come into the presence of God like this, and they see Since what they were actually wired for, worship to God, it can be a life-changing experience for them. I've had those conversations. I had one last Wednesday. Somebody that came in here on our prayer night, and they, they couldn't really even figure out how to put it into words. They said, man, something's going on around here. They were, they, were, they, were, they were not used to being around this, but again, I think that's what it is, is that we're wired for worship. And when someone finds the actual, the actual God that's deserving of what it is, we feel like we keep wanting to give to everybody, right? And so these, these, these men in this listra, they see this miracle, and because of the miracle, it motivates them uh, to give worship. Now, they gave worship, that, where they gave it, it was misguided. They gave it in the wrong direction. And we can look at Lester and go, oh, how, how could they do that? I can't believe they worship Paul and Barnabas. They should have known better. But we're guilty of the same thing sometimes. But sometimes God performs a miracle in our life, and we run around giving praise and worship to everything else but God for the miracle that came in our life that came from God. 
Listen, I'm, I'm, I've already decided in my life that when God uses a, a person, when God uses a human being to bless me or I see favor from God through, through what's a decision that somebody makes, I'm, I may thank them, sure, but you know what else I'm gonna do? I'm gonna say, God, thank you for moving on his heart. Thank you for moving on her life. You get a raise, it's not just your boss that made that decision. It's God just moving on the boss's heart and life, right? When you get healed, even if God uses a doctor to do it, you can thank the doctor for his efforts and for his studying and for being a good doctor. But you also better turn around and say, God, I also give you worship and I give you praise for my health. I'm always gonna make sure God gets my worship. So worship has always been instinctual. And then we go on in verse 14. As we continue in this narrative, as these people start to want to sacrifice bulls and, uh, and animals to, to Paul and Barnabas, look what happens in verse 14. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, when they heard this, what these people were trying to do, the Bible says they tore their clothes. This was a sign of, 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 of dissatisfaction at its greatest. It was, the, it was a, a very dramatic thing that they could do. Uh, and then the custom, they would tear their shirts open four to five inches, just showing like, no, 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 don't do this. And so they do this. They, they tear their clothes. They rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? Why are you worshiping us? Paul says, we too are only human, like you. In other words, he's saying, we're not to be worshiped. We're worshipers like you are. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things, turn from worshiping idols, turn from worshiping dead things, turn from worshiping people that can't do anything for you, turn from worship these, worshiping these living things, turn to the living God. I like that. Like the living God. This is a, a, one of the most glorious and distinctive descriptions of God. You see a lot in the Old Testament. The living God, and it was always to contrast the dead idols. You got everybody out there worshiping all these dead things, but this is a living God who's most worthy of worship. Turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Paul and Barnabas, this reaction they have, it's more than just a reaction to idolatry. It was more than just being like, oh man, I can't believe you're worshiping something other than God. This reaction for them was of devastation because God had done something and the people were trying to give the man the worship for what God had done. Paul and Barnabas could not stand it. I mean, they start to rip their clothes, they start to go, go making all this, run into the middle of the crowd, stop, don't do this. And the reason why, they, they were just so uncomfortable is because they had enough of Christ in them to know that they were not the ones. They knew their own flaws. They knew their own weaknesses. They knew they were not the ones that deserved worship. They knew that only God was the one that deserved worship. And so they were completely and utterly and entirely uncomfortable with receiving that worship. When I think about discomfort, let me, let me say this. When my wife and I first got married uh, back in the 90s, we were still in Bible college and we got married, this is back in the 90s. Okay, it was in the early 90s, fine. But um, it was back in the 90s. We got our first little apartment. I, don't, I think we paid like $275 a month rent or something. And, and we had a couple things. Um, 
We had a couple things uh, that were given to us, but we also bought a couple things with like our wedding money. And we, one of the things we'd gotten was a, a new couch, a new couch and a new big old chase couchy chair thing. And so it kind of looked like this, uh, but not exactly, but that's as close as I could find. It was actually bigger than that. And, uh, and I'm telling you what, when I got to my apartment and I sat in my chair, let me say it this way, when I got into my kingdom, and I found my throne, and I held my scepter, which is the remote control for us men, amen. When I held the remote control, like it was mine, you know what I'm saying, like if the, I'm, it was just a weird experience to be like, no, this is mine, because you know when you were a kid and you'd be sitting in a chair and your dad would come along and be like, get out of here, I'm like, okay, you know, you just had to get out of there, like, it was, that's my seat, okay, sorry. And I'm sitting in my throne that no one can come along and say, get out of there. Because I say, no, you get out of here. My kingdom, my throne, and then my remote control. And I think even at that early, those early days of marriage, Jamie knew that it was my remote control. She knew. I think that's really, when the New Testament talks about wives submitting to husbands, it's mostly having to do with the remote control. That's mostly what that's about. And she knew that early on. And it's hard for me to describe how comfortable I was in my big old chair, in my big old throne, in my house, in my apartment, in my kingdom, holding my scepter. I guess as comfortable as I was, it kind of gives me a little bit of a picture of, of, of God. Let me say it this way. So as uncomfortable as much discomfort as Paul and Barnabas are feeling at the thought that worship would be coming their way, God is absolutely, utterly, entirely, he is comfortable with worship coming his way. Psalms 22 says it this way. Psalms 22, verse three, this is what the word of God says. It says, yet you are holy, God, you are holy, and look at it, enthroned on the praises of Israel. God is enthroned. He is entirely comfortable just being enthroned in the praises of Israel. We are Israel. We've been grafted into Israel. So when we begin to worship, when we begin to lift our voice, when we begin to lift our hands, God just sets into his kingdom and says, I'm glad to be home in my kingdom, in my throne, with my people. He is entirely comfortable in our worship. That's why he inhabits the worship and the praise. He's enthroned in the praise of his people. That's why instruction on worship is so important because it, it welcomes, it initiates, it activates the presence of God, which is why Paul and Barnabas are so quick to go, no, 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 turn this towards God. That's why the word of God is filled with instruction on what, what biblical praise and worship looks like, what practical praise and worship looks like. Let me just read a few of the verses really, really quickly of what praise and worship looks like. Psalms 134 verse two says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. First Timothy chapter two verse eight, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without angering or disputing. I think it's kind of funny that churches get described certain ways and they say, well that's a, that's a lifting hands church. And Well I mean when I read the Bible I think most churches probably should be lifting hands churches according to this. Psalms chapter 47 verse one, clap your hands all you nations and shout 
to God with cries of joy. Psalms 30 verse 4, sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. Ephesians chapter 5, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. It doesn't matter how talented you think you are. It doesn't matter how great of a singer you are. No, the Bible calls us to sing and make music in our hearts to the Lord. Psalms 149 verse 3, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to them with tambourine and harp. And so all of this instruction to worship. Because God is enthroned in that. But then, just about the time that Paul has got them to, to shift their worship, look at what happens. He's almost convinced them, in verse 18, with these words, they had, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead, but after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Wow. I don't know if you caught that, but look how quickly worship can change directions. Look how quickly Paul goes from being a god to be worshiped to being a criminal, a criminal to be slain just like that. I mean, you want to talk about cancel culture, that's cancel culture right there. Paul goes from being celebrated, we're going, to, we're going to sacrifice things to you, to now you're going to be the sacrifice, and we're going to kill you. How quickly worship can get intercepted. And we've got to understand that as believers, that our worship can get intercepted. That we can be kind of going along and doing our thing, and it seems like sometimes something can come in along in our, in our spirit. Something can come on in some sort of spiritual attack and start to just get our eyes off of the God that we're worshiping. And sometimes we can still be doing all the right motions, but yet our heart is not in it because our worship has been intercepted. I want you to know that Satan, Satan is still in this worship intercepting business. Let me, let me show you why this is the case. We're going to go a little deep here for a second, if that's all right. But in Isaiah chapter 14, it's a couple verses, a passage there that describes Satan, talking about Satan. And this is what is said in Isaiah 14, in verse 13. Talking about Satan, it says, You said in your heart, Satan, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. This is what got him in trouble. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. This is what Satan wanted. He wanted to be higher than God. I wonder why. Well, let's read on. Look what he says. Satan said, I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. Hmm. Wonder what the mount of the assembly is. Satan says, I want to sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. The mount of the assembly was the solemn meeting place between God and his people in the temple at Jerusalem. Don't forget Psalms 22. God is enthroned where? In the praises of his people. And Satan says, God, I want your throne. Satan has always been in the worship intercepting business. So he's always gonna come in and try to, try to steer your worship the wrong direction even when you have been on the right path. Now, I don't think most people listening to this message anytime soon are just gonna go, you know what, I used to worship God, but now I'm gonna worship the devil. I doubt anybody's gonna do that. It usually doesn't happen like that. How does our worship get intercepted? I could think of a couple ways. I think sometimes our worship gets intercepted when we make it about style instead of making it about God. 
Sometimes we can fold our hands and we can go, well, I mean, I don't like the way we do it here. I don't like the way they do it there. I don't like this song. I don't like that style of music. And all ages do it. I've seen young people do it because worship seems too old. I've seen old people do it because worship seems too young. It ain't about old or young. It's about God. It always has been. But we'll get our hearts, right? We'll get our minds. When I first came, when I first went to Bible college, um, uh, we were used to worship, not anything like this, but full expression and full band and whatever, like growing up. And, um, and then uh, when I went to Bible college, most chapels, almost, almost every chapel would be just one instrument, like a piano or an organ, and somebody is up leading hymns. That's all it was. You just sing through hymns. And a few days into that, I decided, look, if I'm going to worship, I'm going to have to get used to a different style. I'm not, I'm going to make it not about a style, make it about God. And so I learned how to worship there in a, in a chapel with just an organ playing and somebody singing a hymn, and I could touch God in that setting. Matter of fact, I've been on mission trips where I didn't even understand the language. They're singing songs in a language I don't understand. But I made the decision a long time ago, I'm going to be a worshiper. So they could be singing about all kinds of stuff. I'm in there just going, Lord, I love you. I worship you. Because it's not about style. Never has been. Never can be. But, but it can start to get intercepted that way. We make it about style. Or sometimes we make Make it about our own comfortability. Remember, we said God is comfortable in my worship, and that's the point of my worship, to make him comfortable, not to make me comfortable. I've heard worship leaders say it. I've probably said it before leading worship. And it's not a sin, but with a good heart, sometimes worship leaders will say, if you're comfortable, maybe lift up your hand. If you're comfortable, maybe clap your hands. If you're comfortable, why don't you sing? Listen, worship has never been about me being comfortable. Mm-mm. And so I would say this, if you're uncomfortable lifting your hands, you should probably still lift your hands. I mean, you can lift them low to start out with, just do the low, low lift, just be there. Right, because the Bible talks about lifting hands, not arms, you're just like, okay, my hands are lifted, I'm good, I'm just saying. But no, it's, it's never been, but when we make it about, watch this, if I make it about my comfortability, if I make it about my self image, Aren't I saying that I'm worth more than God? I never want to make that statement with my actions, with my life, with my heart. Another way we can, sometimes our worship can get intercepted is sometimes even in the most vibrant of environments, we can start to worship worship. And we start to worship the experience. We start to worship the production and we start to worship how talented everyone is. And we can so quickly get caught up in that. And we're just, I mean, we're going, man. Our bodies are going, yet our hearts. I heard about one church that experienced this in the late 90s in Watford, England. Their worship team had gained national recognition they were writing music that was blessing the nation of England really even beyond that blessing really the, 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 the world and so people were showing up to experience this great worship and the pastor's name was Mike and Pastor Mike felt something from God that God spoke to him and said your church has lost something they've lost the true reason of why they worship they've gotten their eyes on people and they've gotten their eyes on a band they've, they've lost worship and so God spoke to this pastor to do something radical and he obeyed the Lord. He first went to the worship team and he said, hey, we're shutting it down. We're turning off the sound system. 
Not, a, not another drum will be struck in this church for a while. Not another guitar will be strummed. Not another piano will be played. You, you guys won't be on stage. We're not doing it anymore because we've lost, we've lost sight of God in our worship. And the worship leader, and the, the, the worship pastor of that church, he was a little bit um, shocked with this, probably a little bit offended, was working through it. The pastor then gets up to the, uh, before the people and he tells them what's gonna go on. He says, I think we've lost our way as a church. And there's gonna be no more, no more worship uh, the way you've experienced it. No, no more band, no more drums, no more production. We're not doing it. It's, we're pulling the plug on all of it. He said, because we as a church, he said, you've become consumers only. And I don't want you to be consumers only. I want you to be producers in worship, not just consumers in worship. This is what he told them. And he said, so what are you bringing to the worship service? He literally asked that question and there was some silence and there was some awkwardness and that's how they would start the worship service. What do you bring into the worship service? And it would usually start with some silence and awkwardness but then somebody from the crowd would just begin to sing out with no music and they would begin to worship God in that church. And they begin to experience kind of a sweet presence of God that they'd not had in quite some time. And it was during that season during that period of time when there was, everything was, plug was pulled on everything, that that worship leader, his name was Matt, that worship pastor of that church, his name was Matt Redman. During that time, he sits in his room with an acoustic guitar and he, and he writes a song that would go on to really change, it would really go on to impact really every corner of the earth. But he sits there in his room during this season when the plug, plug is pulled on everything with a guitar by himself, and I can almost just see him, but he, he writes this song, he says, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. He said this, he said, I'm wanting just to bring something that's of worth, right? That will bless your heart. He said, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. Oh God, you search much deeper within to the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, where it's all about you. We're coming back, Lord. Singing, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. It's all about you. Oh, that men everywhere would lift up holy hands and sing. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. worship. Where it's all Where about it's you, all God. About you. Oh, it's all about it's you, all God. about you, Jesus. And I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made. Lord, it's all about you. Come on, church, find a place of worship right now. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. 
Hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.